the other gift that I got from writing this book was the absolute realization that just like I said, nobody's normal. The other thing that I realized is that we are not alone. You're, you're not alone in any of this. In, in so many of these instances, in every instance of all the stories that I tell in this book, I thought I was the only person who had ever had that experience, who had ever suffered like that, and nobody else could understand me. In talking to other people and the, the chance to, to share these stories, almost without exception, people's response to me is, oh my gosh, me too. The, the exact thing that happened to you might not have happened to me, but I understand your experience because this happened to me. And then I get to, to hear their story and then they get to share. And the realization that we are not alone in any of this is, is life-changing, is, is, is where gratitude and appreciation actually come from and can change everything about your life. So if I could give one piece of advice, realize that you're not alone and reach out to other people be open to being reached out to by other people, form communities, form relationships and, and be with each other in, in, in this life. You're not alone. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, 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 come on in. Let's have a good old time. Let's get some encouragement. Let's get fired up. Let's get motivated, get inspired. We're going to go with another guest again. It's come up with, you know, a form of, you know, overcoming adversity, finally got the mind straightened out uh, per se, and, you know, going to provide you some examples on what you can do to better prepare yourself as well. And so I'm Dr. James Perdue, the Professor of Perseverance. Thank you for coming in to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. This podcast couldn't have made it without you. Well, and the guests, because you ought to get tired of just hearing me. All right. So today, our guest, boy, we're going to talk about the mindset, the mindset, the mindset. I mean, that's going to get you through a lot of things. All right. Today, our guest, well, he went on and said his 15-year-old son innocently but accurately questioned his cynicism and negativity towards dad. Okay. Woo. Seeming to bring out most situation. It brought our guest to a crosswords. Crosswords? Crossroads. There we go. In 2020, as the world was experiencing a new time like no other, he had the unique blessing, Eric, so I like their blessing, of spending an entire year marinating his brain in a spirit of gratitude and appreciation. The author of the book, I Can Appreciate That. Welcome to the show, Stephen Crane. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm blessed, man. I got up again today, and I've already done one podcast with the woman in the UK, and now we're working on number two and get fired up with you now. Amen. Thanks for having me. So, oh, no, no. Thank you for sharing your valuable time, insight, and to help uh, people today may come in listening. 
definitely the people in the future to come in and listen on the replay. Thank you again. All right, now let's get into this because I asked this question to y'all for air. Let's ask it now. How does it feel when your 15-year-old is trying to tell dad how he ought to be doing? And, you know, a lot of parents, they don't, uh, they don't take a lot of criticisms from their children. So how, how does it feel when it comes back to you that he's being the adult in this, in this time frame? <laughs> uh, well, it feels like a dagger in the heart is what it feels like. Um, <laughs> back uh, about the, at the very end of 2019, right before the whole world shut down for COVID, you know, um, I was having a conversation with one of my two children. I have two sons who are now 16 and 14, but my oldest son at the time, he and I were having a conversation and I don't even know what, exactly what we were talking about, but in that exchange, he said something to me and I said something back to him. And his response to me was, dang, why do you always have to be so negative about everything? And a lot of times when your kids say things to you, it's easy enough to sort of dismiss them and say, well, because I'm the parent and because I said so or whatever. But in that particular moment, what he said to me was so true and so convicting that it just sort of stopped me. And I didn't. the, the worst part of that is that I didn't even actually have an answer for him. You know, I knew that he was right, but I didn't have, I, I, I didn't know what to say to him. Um, so I went away and I, I did a lot of thinking and a lot of thinking. And actually, I, I spent the entirety of 2020 sort of thinking and researching. And I, I'm a writer by trade. I write advertising. And um, during the pandemic as a freelancer, I also ended up having the hidden blessing of a lot of extra free time, you know, as everybody's corporate reality sort of changed and shifted, I had a little less work to do. So I had some free time and I decided to fill that free time looking for the answer to his question. And so the result of that after 14 months of thinking and uh, writing and researching <clears throat> was this book, <laughs> which is uh, essentially a collection of eight or nine autobiographical essays, which look at events from my life, which can be anything from very small things to life-changing things, um, health, career, relationships, etc. cetera. Um, looking at things that I originally thought of as negative and what, to which my original response was, man, I don't appreciate that. That's frustrating. I don't like that. I wish this wasn't like that finding the hidden blessings in all of those things and realizing how in all of those situations, there actually were these huge blessings that were always there. I just didn't see them. Sometimes you can't see them because, you know, you're living in the moment or whatever, and you need time to find them. And, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of, of a change in perspective. Yeah, now I really like when you said find the hidden blessings because sometimes that thing is so hidden, so hard, so far back, so well hidden, it takes a while for it to find it. But it also gives us time to marinate and think about what we're looking for out of it. Absolutely. Yeah, sometimes they're, they're right there for you and it just takes a minute. And sometimes it's years and years before you can look back at something and go, oh, wow, well, because that happened, this job came into my life or this relationship came into my life, or I wouldn't have all of these things if that, if the road didn't fork in this direction. 
there's a story and it's about an anonymous writer. No one's to get credit for it that I know of. And I forgot the whole thing per se. I don't know if the whole thing top of my head, but paraphrasing, uh, the dad, my husband, was down in the dumps and he wrote, what a year we've had. I uh, can't believe it. And then he talked about all the negatives. He had like four or five bullets. But one is like, son was in a bad car accident. He was hospitalized. Uh, our house burnt. And but then the wife was looking over the shoulder, watching him write that, and he put on there at the bottom how bad of a year it was. But she took the letter and come back, and she said what a year it was and wrote on it what a year it was and everything. Our son was in a bad accident, but he lived and survived. Um, yes, our house had caught on fire, but we had great insurance that actually built the house bigger and better. And everything, was, uh, yeah, he talked about losing the job, and but you hated that job anyway and you got a better job and then she puts on it what a great year it was you absolutely know? yeah yep. so it's it's the way you frame it and look at it and hunt for those blessings yes that's a hundred percent right it all comes down to a matter of perspective all right now so you've taken you said 14 months of um, marinating your brain into this spirit of gratitude and appreciation how did all that lead from one point to another. I know you got some questions over here. You had listed with some, and I'll, I'll answer two or three here that I'm really looking forward, forward to hearing from you. But sure. Uh, you know, well, so, so to, to, to speak to the, the whole marinating your brain sort of aspect, you know, I, it, it's no surprise that sort of the, the things that you spend your time with sort of become the voices in your head, right? So if you spend a lot of time listening to the news or listening to podcasts or listening to, you know, music or, you know, politicians or what, whatever it is that are the voices in your head, that becomes what you hear and what you hear all the time becomes what you think and becomes what you believe in. It becomes how you act. And so as I was spending all this time, a lot of the stuff that I knew that I wanted to write about, it was sort of in my brain and I just had to go get it, right? And sort of think about it and organize it and, and put it down on paper. Some of that stuff I had to go and talk to other people. Uh, stuff from my childhood, I had to go back and have these conversations with my parents or uh, with other folks and sort of fill in the blanks. And so that whole process, whether it's spending time with yourself or spending time with other people, when you're topic is gratitude and appreciation. And you know that you're trying to get to the hidden blessings and that's what you're trying to focus on and what you're writing about. That becomes what's in your brain. And over a period of time, if you spend a, an extended period of time like that, in my case, over a year, it, it fundamentally shifts how your brain thinks. It, it changes your perspective and you start to, to see things from that perspective more as a default than you did ordinarily. It's funny because my my son, uh, if I asked him now, if I was a less negative person, if I was fixed, you know, he probably would not say, oh yeah, he's a completely different person and he's not negative and he's not cynical. And he wouldn't be wrong about that. I'm probably not a different person, but I absolutely have a different perspective and I'm slower to be angry and I'm quicker to find blessings and quicker to see the brighter side and the, the, the blessings and appreciation stuff in there. So now your cynicism is in positive manner. I, I hope. <laughs> I don't you know go. if you can actually cure cynicism permanently, but. Uh, and, um, uh, that last minute and a half when you talked about 
uh, you know, depending on what you're putting in, basically, is what you're going to turn out, you know, come out with. So that's the title of your next book is Marinating My Brain. And there's a minute and a half of what you can build on writing right there. So, I'll take it. So, yeah, I think I think that would be interesting to uh, to do that. I think it would be so. All right. And so, yeah. And, and like always, it's it's going to be a building process throughout your life because again you're not going to be i'm not going to be 100 positive 100 fixed i'm going to drift back a little bit but as soon as i drift back i got to realize it snap out and move the correct way and so yeah don't don't beat yourself up if you fall back and that's uh, right from there so yeah so now here's a question uh you, you, i guess you would uh is these the titles these questions, anything you got on your pod match? Uh, why couldn't I be born normal like everyone else? Is it, these questions have anything to do with what's written in your book, part, uh, a chapter, they do. Or anything like that? Yeah, they absolutely do. So each of those sort of corresponds to a like I said, there's eight or nine different chapters in there, and, and everything it's everything from um, small stuff like jobs to like big stuff like huge medical challenges or losing my sister to cancer. Uh, it, you know, but it, it runs a whole gamut of stuff, you know, to things like joining the PTA or coaching little league baseball. And now we're talking, we can get into some baseball talking. Here. See <laughs> oh yes. Stuff behind me, boy, we can really get into some baseball topics here. We have to do that on a different podcast. No, I'll uh, tell you what, man, spending 10 years coaching little league baseball, you'll learn more about life than just about anything else. I've coached, not little league, but the we what they used to call it, I don't know what to call it now, but it was minor league baseball for a while. Even the pitching machine was the pitcher for that league. Uh skipped minor league, but then got into Babe Ruth 13 to 15 year old and got to eventually doing 16 to 18 and coached high school some. I've never done little league. I don't know if I can stand with all them parents the way they are. Whoo! <laughs> yeah, it's it is something else. It, <laughs> they it they need to marinate their brains before they come to a game, <laughs> and uh, and realize uh, that uh, their son more than likely is not going to be the next whoever. And let them play and enjoy. And, and, and don't get me wrong, somebody's got to be the next one, but it's not all the parents out there. That is correct. No, we were very blessed. I, I coached uh, my sons basically from the time that they were about four till about 13 or 14. And uh, we were very blessed to be in an organization in a group that uh, was uh, not um, not the super competitive cutthroat, you know, people losing their minds over, you know, seven year olds yeah. and stuff like that. And uh but then we would travel and we would play some of those teams and you you would get oh. context. You know, you take oh. those kids out into the, the bigger world and you see some other things. And it's a good opportunity to 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 teach. Yeah, exactly. I was getting ready to say it's a teachable moment for the for you to talk to the kids and go uh, talk to the parents and say, I'm glad you're like you are, not like and not take you pouring them out over there but yeah <laughs> you know so but yeah a lot of teachable moments from there so there was one my brother was telling me he went to go watch a, ball, a little league ball game and he said the uh ex-wife ex-husband were there and she's been called to police because the ex-husband ain't supposed to be so many feet beside her 
<laughs> instead of just, and of course he's pushing the limit, I guess, on how many feet he's supposed to be. I don't know. And go to the other side of the park and both of you watch little Johnny play and encourage him. But they brought it to be about themselves. And so they, those definitely need, those parents need to marinate their brain to have a better understanding of gratitude and appreciation. Absolutely. So, so, all right, let's get back on topic since we jumped off with the little league stuff there. So, but I can talk baseball with you. So, all right, now here's, here's one question here is, uh, I like, again, why couldn't I be born normal? And now we have to define what do we consider normal like everyone else? Right. So, well, and that, and that's actually, uh, you, you sort of, with your follow-up question, t- take me to the revelation and to the end of that, which I'll get to. But um, so I don't know if you are familiar with or if your audience will be familiar with uh, spina bifida. Uh, do you know what that is? Spina bifida. I'm a spinal cord injury. I don't know if you know. I got my neck broke playing football. So, yep. So uh, I've yep. been to other rehabs and stuff. So I met spinal bifida people, got spinal bifida friends, yes. Yeah, so for those who might not be um, as as aware, spina bifida is a, essentially a birth defect where when you're born, the um, the base of your spine is exposed and it's not necessarily fully formed, which means on the very first day of your life, you have to have a surgery to close that essentially exposed sack of spinal fluid. And if you don't, basically you die. Right. So you're having surgery on day one. And the inevitable result of that surgery is some degree of nerve damage. And um, it sort of affects your mostly your lower extremities. A lot of people who have spina bifida um, end up uh, living their lives in wheelchairs. Um, They aren't able to have children. Uh, They have very complex and complicated, difficult lives. I am super, super fortunate in that I have a pretty mild case of it, um, but it still ended up um, being sort of a, of a defining thing in my life uh, to the extent that it was probably I was probably 30 before I'd had more birthdays than surgeries. And I was the kid who um, went to school in a wheelchair sometimes or on crutches or, you know, looked weird or, you know, walked weird. or I, I was the weird kid, right? So, you know, that, that is what it is. And, you know, you grow up, you grow up like that. You go through elementary school and high school and whatever. And kids at a certain age are not very sophisticated and they can be very mean. And, you know, you sort of become who you are, Um, which if you spend your whole life um, with the same kids uh, from kindergarten through graduating high school, you sort of become cemented in a lot of those kids' brains as what you were when you were six or seven, which can be kind of hard to outlive, right? Um, So that's sort of the context for why couldn't I be normal, all all the challenges that come with that and the the frustrations and um, difficulty breaking through and having people see you as a normal person, right? And so uh, to the extent that, you know, when I graduated high school, I could not wait to go to college anywhere other than where I lived, just sort of to start over. Um, because at that point, I had sort of normalized, you know, through some revolutionary surgeries and things like that, which are also pretty awesome stories that I cover in the book. I had become outwardly much more normal, right? It was harder to tell that I had, you know, these, these significant issues. So I could sort of start over. 
But to go all the way back to your question, what I found about being normal is that while I spent so much time being frustrated about why can't I be normal? Why can't, you know, why can't it just be the way it is for everybody else? One of the, one of the most amazing things that I've learned through the experience of writing this book and talking to people about it is the extent to which nobody's normal, right? Everybody has something that makes that, whether it's visible or, or invisible, everybody has something that makes them feel more or less exactly that same way that, oh my God, why, why is this happening to me? Why am I the only person that feels this way or has this thing or does this or, you know, is affected by this? Basically, nobody's normal and everybody's normal, right? It just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> goes right, right back to your question of what is the definition of normal? And when you come to that understanding that there kind of isn't a definition of normal and it just is sort of how you end up being okay with, with who you are, your life changes completely. And being able to, to have that experience and share that sort of empathetically with other people has, has kind of been you know, a sort of life-changing gift. And I had a question, and oh, there you, here it goes. Okay, that uh, you were talking about, you just couldn't wait to get to college to get over and experience new people and everything like that. So, as you was going through high school, did you send a spreadsheet around asking where everybody was going to college so you knew where to avoid? <laughs> uh, no, but um, I uh, so I grew up in the, in the Atlanta area, and and a lot of those folks went to the big state school here in Georgia, and uh, I. I, I chose a different path, a, a place where I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to end up um, uh, seeing a lot of those folks. Um, and, and that wasn't the the primary reason, but uh, but I was very glad to end up in a place. I went to the University of South Carolina and was very glad to um, end up in a place where um, those people were meeting me for the first time. And I was sort of a clean slate and I, I could I could be to them what I was from that day, not from what I was when I was six. There you go. Um, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, you're to, uh, the point again, what is considered normal? And you're right. Everybody has something. It, it depends how much everybody gets to see of it to know what you have or don't have. And then uh, you're right. Children or horrible some ways, bullies some ways. But then you got those others that are just honestly, brutally honest. You know, and they don't mean any harm. And so you got to, you know, separate those people from the bullions and the cruel people. You just, they're curious and they don't know how to answer a question or ask the question. So they ask it just point blank. You're absolutely right. And well, and that's, but that's something that you don't get a, a clarity on until you're much older because you, you can't, as a child yourself, you can't distinguish the difference because between somebody who's being mean out of spite and being mean out of ignorance or curiosity, right? It, it all just, yeah. it all feels the same, you know, when. Yep, yep, yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, a child doesn't understand the difference. So, yep. yeah, if I cannot say that. Now, here's a, Question here that I'm interested in is um, oh, this goes back. This is not what I signed up for. What now? I mean, we're put into a lot of situations that we didn't sign up for it. Now, you know, those same people say we play the hand that's dealt. 
to us in life. And so what, what do you say about that? That Yeah, I didn't sign up for this job or so what now? Yeah. So, um, one of, uh, one of the biggest unexpected successes, you know, I've, I've been able to be a part of was, uh, I actually, um, got pretty involved with my kids elementary school and we were, um, you know, we were part of the, the, the we joined the PTA and, you know, we go to school and you do all the things and we, we encountered another group at the school, which was essentially the foundation, which sort of helps raise money for the um, capital improvements to the school, things that the, the PTA doesn't do, right? So, you know, if they need new infrastructure or new gym equipment or resources, whatever, uh, you sort of help raise money for that. This school happened to be a, a Title I school, which has uh, its own funding challenges, and it's you're not dealing with people with a lot of deep pockets and stuff like that. <clears throat> but um, I started getting involved in that organization, and in the second or third year that we were involved, the president of that organization decided that it was time for him to move on to something else, and he left. And the remaining board members of that organization sort of decided unanimously amongst themselves that I should be the person to replace him without really telling me, you know, uh, but it was basically a voluntold uh, position. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So I was, uh, I was nominated and inaugurated in somebody's kitchen that night. (laughs) And they basically said, here you go. This is, you know, you're going to be the person to, uh, uh, we think you'd be great at this. Go for it. And uh, I, man, I didn't appreciate that. You know, I, I did not want that job. I was not seeking that job. Um, I was a little afraid of that job. There were a lot of reasons why I was not just running toward an opportunity like that. Um, but what it gave me was this amazing opportunity to work with people that I already knew and trusted, but then build these relationships beyond that to sort of do something amazing for not only my own children, but like hundreds of children in this environment. And so we, uh, you know, I, I served in that role for a couple of years. And again, this is a title one school. We, we set this goal to, uh, to bring a new playground to the school and we did, you know, fundraising and we tried to get grants and we, you know, did all these different programs and contests, whatever. And we were literally nickel and diming our way to what is like an $80,000 goal, which seems pretty unrealistic and unattainable. Um, but at the end of all of that, uh, through relationships and, uh, and, and a lot of groundwork and learning how to, to take on something like that and sort of being the, the person who got to go in front of a lot of people and explain who we were and what we were doing and why it was important and why people get, could get involved. Uh, we ended up raising all of that money in like two and a half years and brought uh, like an $80,000 playground to a title one school for hundreds of kids. Awesome. So, yeah, so that, that's a job I never wanted. Um, but there's like, you know, that playground stands as like this monument to appreciation that will be there for, you know, hopefully, you know, a decade or, you know, more, you know, whatever that you can look back at and go, that only exists because we took this on and, and, and made something happen. But yeah, we fought a big battle and won. And so that, I mean, it's good when you can uh, feel so great when you can, um, you know, 
go after what seemed un unattainable. And then it may take two or three years, five years, and you finally get there. I mean, I mean that feels so good. And again, the blessing of <coughs> serving, let these other kids play in years to come is, 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 is a gratitude in itself. So absolutely. Hey, uh, now uh, here's another one that, um, why can't I get just one win? <laughs> I just so, said one, one. You, you want to talk about baseball? So <laughs> here we go. All right. So the, so in the, I guess in the summer of 2019, you know, uh, in the early summer of 2019, my youngest son, um, the, the team that the baseball team that he was on, uh, I was, uh, I was basically his coach all the way through from like the time that he was four till, you know, 13 or 14, the team that he was on at that point, they um, got a chance to go play at Cooperstown, which for anyone oh, who doesn't awesome. know is like one of the baseball meccas of the world for, yeah. for little league baseball. It doesn't get any better than that. That and the little league world series are basically, you know, the, the two headed Mount Rushmore of little yes. league baseball. And so all, you know, thousands and thousands of kids, you know, dream of playing there. And, you know, some of them get the opportunity to do that. And he was on a team that got that chance to do that. And we, so it, for people who don't know about Cooperstown, there's basically like three groups of, of teams, right? There's, there are like world beater travel teams that go in there with the absolute realistic expectation of winning the whole thing. There are teams that are like, oh man, we think we're pretty good. And, you know, we, we, we want, we think we can win some games and, you know, we're going to go and have some fun. And then there are teams that are just there for the experience and, you know, think that, you know, whatever happens is fine and they don't have a realistic expectation of being champions or something like that. Um, we didn't actually know, we knew we weren't in that first group. We didn't uh -huh. know whether we were in the second group or the third group, you know, based on, you know, the, the, the team that we had and you know, the experience that we had had uh, turns out that we were, definitely in that third group we uh we we played i don't know seven or eight games and and had some winnable situations but we ended up going oh and seven you know we spent a week and everything from and we got we ended up playing one of the number one seeded teams and got destroyed like 20 to four or something like that you know something that wasn't all that fun and then you know, we had a couple of games where we were actually ahead and we had a chance to win and they kind of slipped away so but we ended up spending a whole week where we didn't win at all. And so at the end of that experience, we, you know, as a coach, you know, you, you know, this, you, the replay in your head can be brutal, right? You sit there and you go, Oh my gosh, if we had just done this one thing, it would have been different. If we had just done this different thing, it would, we, we would have gotten a win. Why that, you know, we, we waited for years to have this experience and, on the back end of that, I'm spending all this. I actually lost sleep for a little bit after that. Oh, yes. oh, about yeah. Why Why could we not just get one win? Why could our time at Cooperstown not just include one win that we could have to, you know, we won a game, you know? And so that there's my cynical negative mindset. You know, you have that experience and it's, you know, um, that's if that's what your takeaway is, man, that's negative. That's cynical. That's sort of depressing that you you're missing, you're missing it. Right. Meanwhile, 
my son, who was the one who was on the field, who's having the experience and who's, you know, going through and he's, he's having essentially the week of his life hanging out with his little band of 12 baseball brothers, you know, their little family and they're, they're having a great time. And, you know, at, at the end of all of that, so it, I don't know if you've been, or if you talk to people who've been, but it, it's sort of a whirlwind, you know, you, you spend a week doing a lot of stuff. And even if you go with your own child, you, you don't have like a whole lot of quality time, you know, you're just, you're, you're doing stuff the whole time. But at the end of all that, as we were there on our last day and, you know, we're kind of, we're done playing games and we're kind of getting ready to leave and all that, you know, we were walking around and, um, it, it was just he and I in a quiet moment. And, you know, he kind of looked at me and he said, that was fun. I love you. That was his takeaway. Right. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a 12 year old kid who had the same experience that I had, who I sat there and went, dang it. Why, why could we not get one win here? You know, his experience, his takeaway was that was fun. I love you. You know, See, that's, there's your one win right there. You, and how for, you for, him to, for him to say that fun and he loved you and there's your one win. So absolutely. So, but I mean, how, who's, who's the person that is the great appreciator in that situation, right? That's, that is out of the mouths of children is the, the truth and the wisdom that we should all be listening to. You know, I'm, I'm the one in that situation who has, you know, so much left to learn and my 12 year old totally gets it. See, depending on how we, and again, I don't have any children, but depending on, uh, I was a teacher and a coach for a long time, but, um, you know, a lot of these kids don't have the filters in them like adults do. And so, like you said, they're looking at it as, man, I got to play with my baseball brothers all week long. I got to stay up late. I got to eat hot dogs all day long. And this is the best time ever. Thank you, Dad. I love you. And, yeah, so if we, we need to open our eyes more and and appreciate what they're sharing with us because one day they're going to grow up and have that filter and they're going to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, and it's sad that, uh, uh, that uh, we grow up like that to become the adult and then we miss out on these stuff when we were younger. So hundred percent. All right. Last, last question I ask here on this one here is, uh, and I want to see what you say about this. Cause then I'll tell you what, I have learned from others what they tell me. Why is God denying or ignoring my prayers? Oh man. So that, <laughs> how long you got? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that could be, that could be a very long story, but I'll try to, uh, I'll try to condense Yeah, it. We need the reader's digest version. Yeah, no, I gotcha. Um, that essentially um, is one of the, the longer and more meatier and heavier uh, chapters in this book, uh, I can appreciate that, centers around my experiences with cancer. And so um, in that instance, that question is very much about um, my desire um, for God to help intervene and save the lives of people who uh, who I care about who are suffering from cancer. Um, my sister uh, who was about two years older than me. Um, she actually passed a malignant melanoma when she was 23 and I was 20. And um, so at that, up to that point, I had a pretty healthy relationship with God, grew up in, in the church and, you know, had pretty standard experience and would say that I had a, a healthy relationship with God. 
Um, at that point, when you pray as hard as you can for something that you want more than anything in the whole world, and it doesn't go your way, um, that can have a, a significant impact. And it, in my instance, it, it basically broke my faith and I kind of walked away. I pretty much said, all right, well, I mean, if that's, if that's how this is going to go, I'm out of here. Um, thanks for nothing. Right. It's hard, and, hard, bitter pill to swallow. Absolutely. Um, so as, as I grew older, um, I had the, I guess I would say misfortune um, to, uh, and, and probably everybody is in this situation. You know, we've all been touched by cancer, either uh, directly or indirectly. Unfortunately, um, had the, the the misfortune to know several people who are near and dear to me who have had cancer, and in a number of instances, those people, whether it was my sister or a good family friend of ours, or um, or a young child who uh, played in the league with my son, um, who, you know, got cancer at the age of, you know, what, well, he passed at the age of nine, all of those people, I prayed as hard as I could for God to help and, and do something. And it seemed like the answer to that was, no, you don't get what you want. So that's, that's the heart of that question. Why is God yeah. not answering my prayers and you know, whatever? Um, as, as I've, now I'm, I'm nearing 50 and, you know, I've had more experiences. Uh, I've actually got to experience um, the amazing power of prayer and faith in some of those instances where some of the people that I care about have seemingly miraculously come through cancer with, um, they're clear. They're they're healthy, and um, I, I would say they were healed. And, and some of that feels completely miraculous. Uh, so I, I I have a different perspective on that than I used to. But that's a very long road of. Um, and again, this is the the Reader's Digest version. But that that's a transition from having faith to completely losing faith to being able to find it again in, in, in a larger context and being able to understand it, even in that smaller context of the people who are, are suffering from cancer. Now, um, I'm not a theologian, but here's <laughs> what I've heard from more than one minister, preacher, however you want to put it. And I'm not too sure if this is right or wrong answer, because I don't know everything in the Bible. But my thing is, why is God denying her? Ignore my prayers. And then they come back and said, by him not answering your prayer is him answering your prayer. And I'm going, wait a minute, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> so I have, I, I don't know what to say on that one, because uh, that's what I've been told and stuff. And again, I'm not an expert on this area, uh, but yeah. <laughs> that's well, cool. I want, wanted to hear a little bit of what you had to say, but uh, that's, no, it, that's it, it, my experience is by not answering, that's him answering. I, I think that's exactly right. You know, we, in our limited ability to understand God's plan, you know, sometimes that feels like the best answer. But uh, when I go back and I look at that and I look at those events, um, I, as I lay out in the book, uh, I actually got to understand a number of different people on a level I never would have previously, um, whether it was my sister's um, fiance and then husband, um, as he passed now, he managed to deal with that situation. His 
his response in that situation, um, as, as they were 20, 23, 24 years old, and I was 19, his response in that and how he cared for my sister and how he dealt with the adversity of that situation. Uh, and I didn't even know it at the time, but as I look back on it, that um, impacts and molded the man that I've become and the husband that I've become in ways that I couldn't even articulate until I looked back at it. Uh, and one of the uh, one of the larger blessings you know, that comes out of all of this is in the spirit of true appreciation, which is essentially taking something and making it more valuable. Um, you know, I, I alluded briefly to um, to the young man uh, who was um, a baseball player alongside my son who passed a cancer. Um, his name was Lake Bosman, and there's actually a, a fund in his name that uh, continues to fund cancer research um, at Cure Childhood Cancer as they continue to look for a cure. And uh, every copy of I Can Appreciate That that we sell um, generates uh, a portion of the proceeds are donated to that organization in their effort to continue to cure research, uh, to cure cancer. Um, so that that becomes a blessing in and of itself that, that, that this book can even exist and whatever it does, if that can be some small part of, you know, his, the impact that that young man had on my life, if I can in any way pay that forward and and do something positive out of that experience through the the creation of of this book or other efforts, then that is probably the the literal definition of appreciation. There we go. Awesome, Stephen, and you're the author again. I can't appreciate that. The uh, Tell the listeners how they can uh, get a copy of that. And again, the proceeds will be going to uh, Childhood Cancer to help out. And yep. if you can, and other social media that people can reach out to you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the um, the book is available on Amazon.com uh, um, as a print book and pretty much everywhere you get ebooks. Um, so you can just search, I can appreciate that on Amazon and you'll find it. Uh, the book itself has a, an Instagram account and a Facebook account, um, where we've created what we're calling a community of gratitude, where people can share their own stories of gratitude and connect with each other. Um, you can just search, I can appreciate that on Facebook. Um, that's, it's at I C A T story. I can appreciate that story. Um, and it's, I can appreciate that on Instagram. All right. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, uh, listeners, go ahead and get you a copy. So that way you can say you got a book to read and you were able to help in the research in the, uh, uh, from there, childhood cancer. So, all right, Stephen, man, appreciate it. this has been a, it's been fun and enlightening and I'm glad your son woke you up with this little question and, and, you know, changed and made you better aware of yourself. So I'm glad that you were able to do that and share with the other, our listeners, and hopefully they can take something from this and change their ways a little bit, hopefully. Thank you for the opportunity. And appreciate Now, Stephen, last thing here is we know people are hurting and struggling. If you can come up with a uh, positive statement here to help him get through today, that'd be awesome. The other gift that I got from writing this book was the absolute realization that just like I said, nobody's normal. The other thing that I realized is that we are not alone. 
you're, you're not alone in any of this. In, in so many of these instances, in every instance of all the stories that I tell in this book, I thought I was the only person who had ever had that experience, who had ever suffered like that, and nobody else could understand me. In talking to other people and the, the chance to, to share these stories, almost without exception, people's response to me is, oh my gosh, me too. The, the exact thing that happened to you might not have happened to me, but I understand your experience because this happened to me. And then I get to, to hear their story and then they get to share. And the realization that we are not alone in any of this is, is life-changing, is, is, is where gratitude and appreciation actually come from and can change everything about your life. So if I could give one piece of advice, realize that you're not alone and reach out to other people and be open to being reached out to by other people, form communities, form relationships and, and be with each other in, in, in this life. You're not alone. Build your community, then turn around and help other people that need it in the future. So Stephen, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it and everything like that. And everybody else. Hey, I'm Dr. James Purdue. Hey, again, if you're coming in the replay, be sure to share us out. Okay. You know someone needs some type of help, some type of inspiration, motivation, encouragement, some hope, help them persevere through life. So everyone else do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast for motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.